the Gospel of John, chapter 19, beginning, beginning in verse 14. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover, and about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold, your king, the words of Pilate. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then he delivered him to them to be crucified. Then they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center. Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Then many of the Jews read this title, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Therefore the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but he said, I am the King of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts, to each soldier a part and also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one piece. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. It is paid in full. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Therefore, because it was the preparation day, that the bodies should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day. The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus 
and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may believe. For these things were done that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. And again, another scripture says, they shall look on him whom they pierced. Our Lord, we are asking that you would shepherd us through this time as we have gathered together to be instructed by you and this day commemorating your finished work. You finished your work on the cross. You paid sin's penalty for us. But now on this resurrection Sunday, the first day of the week, we celebrate the reality of your bodily resurrection. And we ask that you would shepherd us not only into the understanding of that truth, that reality, but its significance for us. We ask for this outcome in your name, Good Shepherd and Rabbi Jesus. Amen. The Gospel of John, chapter 19, resuming our reading with verse 38. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, who at the first came to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with the spices, as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So there they laid Jesus because it of the Jews' preparation day, for the tomb was nearby. Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the handkerchief had been, that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple 
who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I am not for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord, and that he had spoken these things to her. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands, and reach your hand here, and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen, and yet have believed. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, 
and that believing you may have life in his name. Well, we've read the long narrative of John's gospel about Jesus, the latter part of his crucifixion experience, and then the entire episode of his being placed in the tomb and raised from the dead. Let me start by pointing out that Christianity stands absolutely alone in saying to the human race, saying to the world, test me. Look, 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 study, 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 examine the evidence, examine the evidence, examine the evidence. If you examine the evidence, what does it constantly, what they saw? If I cannot put my finger into the nail prints, if I cannot put my hand in his side, if I do not see this, if I do not see if I... When a witness comes into a trial, you've got a jury, you've got a witness, what do we want when they, from a witness when he is placed on the witness stand. You don't want his conclusions. You want his evidence. What did you see? What did you smell? What did you taste? What did you hear? What did you touch? What did your five senses tell you? What did your five senses exhibit to you, bring to you, and just give us the information. We'll decide what it means. We'll decide its significance, if it's even true. Christianity alone says, test me, test me, test me, test me. We will pass the test. We will pass the test. We will pass the test. And I know I've shared this. There's a wonderful fellow out there with a wonderful ministry, J. Warner Wallace. His principal book, and the first book was Cold Case Christianity. He was a cold case detective for the Los Angeles County Police. He was dragged to church by his wife. And he's sitting there, not really wanting to be there at all. But what aroused his interest was the events described about Jesus. Especially that we've got four Gospels, four witnesses testifying, and in fact, Mark and Luke weren't there themselves. They're pulling together the testimonies of others. And of course, Matthew and John did that as well, but he decided to take his cold case method of investigation where they're trying to solve old cases and put evidence together, and he studied the Gospels with that format, that they, and he was absolutely shocked. The four Gospels, the very things that are problems to us because they are in disagreement about secondary or tertiary things, those were proofs of authenticity to him. When you've got three or four witnesses all saying exactly the same thing about an event, you know they've gotten together and no. (laughs) There is always minor disagreement among the witnesses on the secondary or tertiary things. You want to what are they saying about the core thing? And there was perfect agreement amongst the witnesses. And we've got four separate witnesses. Who actually, those four witnesses are testifying to much more testimony and experience than their own. They're pointing to the testimony of other people very often. Well, what do we have in John's Gospel laid out very clearly? We have this eyewitness 
evidence, testimony. Test me, test me, test me. If you challenge Muhammad, you'll lose your head. If you, you're not allowed to challenge Hinduism. You're not allowed to challenge Buddhism. You're not allowed to challenge any of these because they were, will fail the test. They will fail the test, and they are threatened when they are tested, whereas Christianity, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ says, test me, test me, test me. Test it. And what do we have in, repeatedly in this narrative? I saw, I saw, I saw, this happened, this happened, this all. And by the way, in fulfillment, you have Roman soldiers given the assignment of crucifying Jesus. And they are fulfilling <laughs> prophecy. They are dividing his garments among them. They're casting lots for his garments. They're giving him uh, vinegar to drink. They're giving him all of these things laid out in Psalm 22. They have pierced my hands and my feet, as I noted last week. Crucifixion, when David wrote Psalm 22, about 1000 BC, crucifixion hadn't been invented the earliest evidence we have of crucifixion is from 519 B.C. when the Persians crucified hundreds and hundreds of Babylonians. That's the earliest evidence of crucifixion. And here David is nearly 500 years before that saying in his Psalm 22, they have pierced my hands. David has to be going, Lord, what did you just push through my pen? What? All of those statements there in Psalm 22. And of course, there are other portions of the Hebrew Scriptures that are fulfilled in Jesus' experience. And they're being carried out by Romans and by uh, people who have no knowledge. They're not part of a conspiracy to help Jesus fulfill prophecy. No. The governor of God the Son's experience is God the Father governing his whole. But we have the evidence. We have the... And how, what difference does that make? It means I am redeemed. It means that the purpose of Jesus going to the cross was to pay sin's penalty for us. Last week we read Psalm Isaiah 53. We read and studied Isaiah 53, written 700 years before Jesus' coming. All we, Isaiah includes himself, all we like sheep have gone astray. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That whole psalm actually beginning, or that whole portion beginning really in 52.13 through 53.12, 15 verses. There is no clearer gospel presentation in the whole Bible. Isaiah 53, there's nothing in the New Testament that's even more clear than, no, it's all there. And Jesus accomplished it. He accomplished our redemption. That's what we celebrated on Friday. Good Friday is good for us. Jesus certainly was tormented. It's good for us that he took sin's penalty upon himself and was able to, his final words were, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. He is, his task is done. It is finished. It's paid in full. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he entered into the glorious presence of his Father. 
And then we read the narrative of the third day is that he comes out of the tomb. As it said in the scripture, Psalm 16. Psalm 16, 9, 10, and 11. A Psalm of David. But it's really Jesus' Psalm. Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. A thousand years before Jesus' birth, this is being written. My flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Sheol, the place of the dead, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life, In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You will not allow your Holy One. I don't think David would have had the guts to to call himself the Holy One. (laughs) You will not allow your Holy One, which is true of Jesus of Nazareth, to see corruption. And he didn't. And he didn't. And he came out of that tomb. And as it says in the John narrative, when they came to the tomb, Joseph of Arimathea, the women are standing back quite a ways. They're seeing where Jesus' body is being placed. They're not close enough to witness what what Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea have done. The women are coming there to care for the body the things they're purposing to do were actually already done by John, by Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. They come with the linen wrapping. They have a hundred pounds of myrrh. That is a fortune. Nicodemus broke the bank in buying a hundred pounds of these spices. And linen cloth, folks, all cloth is made by hand. That linen cloth that they're going to wrap the body with is extremely valuable. And as they're wrapping his body, they're placing the spices in the layers. And then and they put the handkerchief over his face, let, place him in the tomb. The stone is rolled down, and then they leave. Then, Saturday morning the high priests are like, oh, no, wait. That guy Jesus said that he was going to rise on the third day. Why, if his disciples come and steal the body, it'll be a worse situation than we got now when Jesus was walking around here. (coughs) Hey, Pilate, would you please put a guard on the tomb? We don't know how many Roman soldiers were there. Some have suggested it was just two. I I think it was probably more like 16. There are a lot of Roman soldiers there. And they are the ones that sealed the tomb. They put this wax seal on there between the, the stone that had been rolled down and the, and the tomb itself. If that seal is broken, they forfeit their lives. That's the whole point of the seal, is to incentivize them to do their job of guarding the tomb and preventing the theft of the body. And they only have, if this is Saturday, they're put there. They only got one night to go through, and there's a bunch of them there. They can keep each other. They didn't fall asleep. 
what happened? They are there, they're wide awake, and as it says in the gospel narratives, an angel came down, flashing lightning. (laughs) And you know what? I'm a Roman soldier, but there's only so much I can take. (laughs) And they fainted dead away. And the angel rolled the stone away. The women go in. He rolled the stone away so they could see that Jesus was already gone. He had simply risen up through the wrappings placed around him. He's going to go in and out of the upper room when the doors were locked. He can do that, and he takes the handkerchief off of his face. Now, what was noted on Friday night by our brother Doug is that what's the point of the handkerchief? It was folded. Now, the custom in the ancient world was this. If the master of the house is at the table and he's having his meal, if he has to just go away for a moment, he'd take his handkerchief and just lay it down and walk away. Then come back. Then come. So, but when he was actually done with the meal, he would fold it up and lay it down, and that was the signal to the servers, okay, I'm leaving and not coming back so you can clear the table. Jesus had folded it. I'm not coming back. I'm not coming back here. I'm done with this place. And then, of course, he presents himself to Mary Magdalene. I love the fact that he chose this woman. How many demons have been cast out of her? She had this horrible... God loves mercy. God chose a sinner of sinners as the very first person to whom he disclosed himself. God, can we not all take heart? Do we not all need the God of unrestrained mercy? Yes, we do. And believe me, however measure by which you think that's true, now when you step into his presence, you're really going to be glad because you're going to really see what holiness unrestrained looks like. God's mercy to us is beyond measure. And so here we have the narrative in John's Gospel. Jesus is betrayed by the Jewish leadership who knew who he was. The Jewish leadership knew that Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah. They had every evidence, every evidence. Last week, I believe it was, I pointed out that statement Annas and Caiaphas, the high priests, are at the foot of the cross mocking Jesus, and here are their words. He saved others. Himself he cannot save. What did they just admit to knowing? That he had done those miracles. He had saved others. In the Gospel of John, chapter 11, Jesus raises Lazarus from the tomb. Lazarus was known by all of the upper echelon of Jerusalem. Bethany, where he lived, was a suburb of Jerusalem. There were Jewish leaders who were standing there watching Lazarus step out of the tomb. Some of them believed and became Jesus' followers, talking about Jewish leaders. Others turned on their heel and ran to Caiaphas and said, now we've got a real problem. He's raised Lazarus from the dead. We all, everybody knows Lazarus. This won't be deniable, etc. And what does, how does Caiaphas respond? 
Well, now we have to kill Lazarus too. <laughs> what? This is the high priest, the man who is supposed to lead the nation in the worship of God is setting in place a murder, adding an additional murder conspiracy to the one they already had going to kill Jesus. But Jesus fulfilled the scripture. They pierced his side. By the way, one of the statements in Psalm 22, not one of his bones would be broken. When they drove the nails, and the word for hand in the Greek language is kair, and it's from here, it's from the tip of the finger to the elbow. It's not just this. Hand is from here to here. They would drive the spikes into the wrist. There's a hollow place in your wrist. Otherwise, if they drove it in the palm of your hand, it would just tear out. So, but here there is a lot of bone structure. They would drive the spikes through there and it would hold you up. And they drove the spikes through his wrists, not breaking a bone. They overlaid his feet, lapped them over, and drove a spike through his feet. His father was governing the angle of the nail so that your foot bones are pretty fragile. And yet they drove that nail through his foot bones without breaking any of his foot bones. The other men crucified with him, they broke their legs in order because they would suffocate. You had to be able to push yourself up to breathe. Well, they broke their legs so that they couldn't do that and they would suffocate. They came to Jesus, oh, he's already dead. They drove a spear through his side. Now, I don't know if they went down here or through the ribcage or what, but whatever, they didn't break a rib. I can't put a 30 caliber bullet through a deer's rib cage without breaking a rib. What are you talking? They didn't, what they saw that his, the fluids were separating. Well, the Roman soldiers, if they were experts in one thing, it's who's dead and who's not. And the separation of the fluids of the body was proof, proof, proof to them that Jesus had already authentically, truly died. And so they saw that proof of that he is already dead. We don't have to break his legs. And they didn't. They just got him off the cross. And Joseph of Arimathea already had permission from Pilate to receive the body and take care of it. And again, as it says in the Hebrew Scriptures, what does it say? You have Isaiah 53. I am crucified with the criminals, with the wicked. I am put to death with them, but with a rich man at my death. And here's the rich man, Joseph of Arimathea, receiving the body of Jesus, who has finished his work as the redemptive Lamb of God. And now he, he and Nicodemus take care of the body and lay it in the tomb. And I've, I was always a little bit troubled by that. This is Passover time. They're dealing with the dead carcass and all that. And so they're ritually unclean. They can't, and I thought, this is a carcass of the Son of God, Mark. <laughs> it's not unclean. <laughs> God was absolute Lord of this. And the evidence, the evidence, the evidence. That's simply, if you read all any of the gospel narratives, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, they all are saying, evidence, 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 test me, test me, test me. Why am I em emphasizing this? Ladies and gentlemen, we have all the proof we need 
that our Redeemer lives. Our Redeemer got the job done. (coughs) How do I step into the benefit of what He did on the cross? It's quite simple. You abandon any self-righteousness. You abandon anything that you would... Okay, if you were standing before God at the gate of heaven, and He were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Well, I went to church a lot, and I, you know, I did this, and I was born from the right ethnic group, and I did that, 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 that. Guy's going, oh. <laughs> Abandon your self-righteousness. Abandon any argument you could try to make. Abandon that in favor of your son, Jesus of Nazareth, is the Redeemer. He paid the penalty for my sin in what he experienced on the cross. And there was a point in time where I held out an empty hand and I received that benefit. I received that benefit. That is the only reason why God will welcome us and he does it gladly. God the Father so loved you and me that he sent his son. God the Son so loved you and me that he obeyed the Father and came. And God the Holy Spirit so loved you and me that he sustained the whole process. God so loved the world, Jesus says in John 3.16, that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes transfers their trust. And the word translated believe, the old, the... uh, Amplified Bible, which really stretches the Bible, (laughs) which is the first time I read the New Testament when I was 16 years old. I read the Amplified Bible, which made it about 50% longer. Every time you come to the word believe, it's got this parentheses, and it says believe, rely on, trust in, rely on, adhere to. Trust in, rely on, adhere to. Believe isn't just a mental acknowledgement it is an abandonment of trust in your own works in favor of what jesus has done and god welcomes you gladly he's the one who sent the son to do that for you and again as job says in job 19:25, i know that my redeemer lives and shall stand on the earth and though after my flesh worms destroy this body so from within my flesh i will see god That is what we're declaring to one another today and in building each other up in the most holy faith. This is the the very thing that God has done. And I referenced this earlier. This is the opening statement of Jude. And I really, the Lord has just really recently reached up off the page and gone smack, smack, Pay attention, Mark. (laughs) Jude chapter 1. By the way, Jude is one of the half-brothers of Jesus. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, and brother of James, another half-brother of Jesus, who is the head of the church at Jerusalem. Listen to this. To those who are called. Called. Sanctified made holy, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. 
called, sanctified, set apart, and preserved. Folks, what a simple, outrageously profound statement is, comes off of Jude's pen with those simple words to those who are called, sanctified, and preserved. Let's give praise to our Lord who called us, sanctified us, and preserves us. Our Lord, we give praise to you that God the Holy Spirit called us, that he set us, that God, you, God the Father, sanctified us. You set us apart. You called us holy ones, your holy ones, and preserved in Jesus Christ. We have a secure standing with you because your son, our Lord Jesus Christ, has gotten the job done. And we are grateful that the very next statement of Jude can therefore become truly our authentic life experience, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Lord, we do ask that in the week to come, your mercy might be amplified in our own life experience, that the reality of it would be great, become greater and greater and greater in our minds and hearts, and that we might have the opportunity to share that mercy truth with others. Peace would become our authentic, no matter what the threats are around us, we would walk in your peace and love, that we would be servants of one another. We ask this of you, Good Shepherd Jesus and all God's people said, Amen.